Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Housing Matters, the Vancouver Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about the speculation and vacancy tax with Josh Gordon, who's an assistant professor at the School of Public Policy at SFU, and with Andre Pavlov, a professor of finance at the Beattie School of Business, also at SFU. I'm your host, Stuart McNish, coming to you from the studios at Old Boy Productions here in Vancouver. Now, just before we get to what promises to be an interesting for and against debate on the tax, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsors. This episode comes to you thanks to the support of three organizations that agree we all need to know and understand more about the issues related to housing. Those sponsors are McDonald Realty, the BC Children's Hospital Choice Lottery, and Landlord BC. Now, let's get started with today's show. The efforts of the NDP government to beat the housing market into some sort of submission and make housing more affordable, that, doing that through the speculation and vacancy tax. And there's no doubt the additional taxes on homes over $3 million have made the most expensive houses more affordable for the rich, because that's where prices have dropped the most. Today, however, we're talking about what the speculation tax is supposed to do, which among other things is increase the supply of rental housing. The tax uh, that uh, is aimed at getting at those so-called deadbeat foreigners, be they Canadians from other provinces or people from outside of the country, and in so doing raise money that will support affordable housing, the definition of which isn't exactly clear. Joining me now are Josh Gordon and Andre Pavlov. Josh, I want to start with you because you are in favour of this tax. Uh, well, for a number of reasons. Uh, I mean, it, the key point to start is that it has two components. It has a component that's aimed at foreign ownership, and it has a component that's aimed at vacancy. Um, and they have somewhat different mechanisms and ambitions. Uh, the vacancy component is more aimed at the rental market, and the speculation component, or the, the component that's targeted at foreign ownership, is more about uh, the, the price of property, the ownership costs. And so the, the key point is that in Vancouver, we have a problematic dynamic. Uh, when it comes to the speculation side of things, the foreign ownership side of things. And that's where I think we should focus a lot of our attention, especially because the media debate has kind of been focused on the vacancy part, which in my view is actually a secondary and, and, and less impactful force. Now, the, the key point here is that we effectively subsidize foreign ownership in many cases. Because the thing is, our tax system is not well designed to tax people who are using foreign income and wealth to purchase housing and to come to reside here and use all the various social services and amenities that, that uh, British Columbian society provides. And they don't contribute 
into that often because they're using foreign income or wealth. So what that means is that we are effectively subsidizing that. And that means is that that means that we've become very attractive for people from around the world with wealth to come buy property here, not contribute taxes locally. I, and what I, that does is that separates the housing prices from the local incomes. And, and the point, point of the speculation tax component is to address that dynamic head on so that incomes come more in line with the housing market or, or vice versa. Okay, can I ask you for a little bit of clarification there? Because sure. I'm, I'm slightly unclear about this. You said, you know, if you have a foreign family that comes here, uh, they buy a house, they live here, but their their source of income is from offshore. But they're living here. They're, they're in that house. Yes. Uh, why should they be taxed differently when they're here and they're, you know, in, in, they're engaged in the, the economy by buying food and using services and doing all of those things? What happens so if somebody from Ontario moved here and they made their money in Ontario yeah. uh, and they now say, well, now I've come here, but my money has come from Ontario. What, what's sure. the difference Well, because there? in Ontario, they were paying into the Canadian tax system. Okay. Uh, the people who are arriving with foreign income or wealth have not paid into the Canadian tax system, so they haven't paid for things like healthcare, education, all those different things that they use. So to give you an example, you could have a multimillionaire family, a family living in a $4 million mansion, and they could be paying one or 2000 or $3,000 in income taxes. In fact, we have the history of the Im investor immigration program where uh, tens of thousands of families have entered into Vancouver in this manner, and they paid on average $1,400 in income taxes every year. So, so but here's, the, yeah. here's the key point. And the average house value of the people who entered through that program was about $2 million. So what that means is that you have a bunch of people who are effectively free riding off of the the tax contributions of everyone else. And what that means is that for someone like me, who's working in the local labor market, someone like you, you don't have much of a chance because essentially you are having to pay for all those different services and, and, and amenities that are provided by British Columbian society, right? And you're competing against people who don't have to do that. And so they are going to beat you every time, which is why at the high end of the market, especially, uh, the vast majority of purchases have been made in recent years by people using foreign income or wealth. But you were talking, you qualified that by saying that they came in under the investment legislation. And did they not have to then buy a business or be involved in some sort of economic no. activity to qualify for that? No. Uh, essentially, they had to loan the, the government uh, the different amounts based on, on when, but it was a five-year interest-free loan, which they then got returned to them. Uh, so it was actually a quite modest contribution, and then essentially they had access, along with their family, to all the social services and amenities in, again, Canadian society. So that, it's not a good, that's not a good deal, uh, and that's what uh, the, the tax is proposing to address, and it's proposing to address it directly. And so we've seen a, a sharp uh, turn in the market because a lot of people were speculating on that dynamic continuing, which is that you would have people with overseas wealth continually pouring into the market and taking advantage of this lax tax structure, and that was going to continuously drive prices out of reach for local incomes. We've now addressed that, and as, you, as you've seen in, in recent months, the speculative dynamics have been taken largely out of the market. 
Okay, sorry, Andre. Uh, I will get to you here, but thank there's you. one it's thing. Fine. <laughs> yeah. All right. But there's one thing that comes up, and you say, you know, we've stopped that money coming in. But it's my understanding that the Chinese government did way more to stop the flow of it going out the door uh, at exactly the time that we were bringing in the foreign the foreign buyers tax, which is different than the speculation tax. That's right. And and, and for sure. And so that dried up the uh, dried up that source. Th there's a bunch of different things happening, and it's not as if all of the foreign money has disappeared. Uh, for sure, uh, there are different things that are. Going Going on, including the, the capital controls that are that are happening in China. So it's it's not one thing, but it clearly has had an impact. If you look at the data in terms of turning around uh, a number of markets, if you look at like Langley, the the amount of inventory it has rapidly shot up, um, and that suggests a change in the speculative mindset that has been associated with our market. Okay, Andre, over to you. Okay. <laughs> Your reaction to the to the tax, what you see its objectives being, and are they? Are they being met? Sure, happy to answer that. But before, can we talk a little bit about that $1,400 tax that foreigners are paying? Sure. Because that number has been floated around by many people. and It's and a government think, of Canada figure. Yeah, but I think it's highly, highly misleading. Because that same document that listed the $1,400 income tax paid listed a couple of other numbers. Uh, so number one, it said... People who came under the investor immigrant program have for over $400,000 of corporate income in Canada. And then those that don't have corporate income, don't have inc incorporated business, their income is about gross income now. It's about 180000 or so. So it's not that these people are not working and it's not that they're not making money. It's just that they're not paying themselves. So for the unincorporated businesses, Sure, they have revenue, huge costs, doesn't leave much to them. Great, right? That means they're hiring, hiring locals and, and um, hiring, uh, buying equipment. The incorporated businesses, that's $400,000 of profit, right? So why does that not translate into income tax? Well, pretty simple. They choose they choose to keep the money in the business. And, you know, I mean, knowing my little interaction with foreign people in general is mostly based on foreign students in my classes. And they're incredibly hardworking, and they are very much forward-looking long-term. And I totally can see how someone like that may choose to reinvest in their business than pay themselves to go shopping at uh, Walmart. The, there, there is very little evidence for this claim that there is a lot of uh, local economic activity that's being done by people who arrive through the investor immigration program. That is simply inaccurate. Well, uh, those two numbers are there, right? So $400,000 no corporate income. No, there is no way that that is the typical pattern, uh, not, not even close. That's uh, average. And, uh, no, that, that's just not accurate. Okay. We, you, we can go and we'll, we'll have to now analyze the document. We won't bore you with that. But uh, I can promise you that the amount of income taxes being paid, the amount that are being given into the Canadian Treasury uh, or the British Columbia Treasury uh, are, are very limited. Uh, and that's, in fact, why the federal government under Stephen Harper canceled the program, because they recognized that this didn't make any sense, because yes. we had a, a number of people who were multimillionaires who are coming in who were paying very, very little and were not engaging in the entrepreneurial activity that is supposedly happening. Yeah, Th that's it, why yeah, they canceled right the program. I think that it was Stephen Harper. Well, it doesn't matter who it was. No question that this is not left or right. Issues, that's the, right. This is not left or right. So this I, was a bad program. Okay, guys, I got to get you to hang on for a second here while we take a quick little break and give a big shout out to our sponsors because they deserve to be recognized because they also know that this show is important. 
We all need to know more about housing. So in this break, we're going to recognize McDonald Realty, which prides itself on meeting all of your real estate needs, be it residential, commercial, property management, or new developments. McDonald Realty. They're BC-owned, BC-operated, BC-smart. Think of McDonald Realty, and please check them out at macrealty.com. Now, let's get back to Andre and Josh. The point is we cannot use the flaws of the program to say, oh, these uh, you know, foreigners are, are, are coming here and, and not contributing, because they are. And then the other point is to qualify for that program, as flawed as it was, you needed to demonstrate something like $1.5 million net worth, if I recall the number correctly. All right, so that's minimum. So the average is what, five, 10 million, right? So yeah, you have $10 million of net worth. You're gonna buy a house and that house is gonna be $2 million and every single one of us would do that if and when, hopefully, you know, we'll be ever in that situation, right? So, um, so when, when, when you sure. buy that house for $2 million, you are bringing $2 million into the country yeah, sure. buy that house. And, sure. that, and that money then stays in Canada. Is that not a pretty good contribution? No, no, well, again, <laughs> again it, it depends what's going on there. Um, but again, if we're talking about housing affordability, it does not help your housing affordability situation, which is why True. you had 40 <laughs> yeah. plus economists that said this is a problem that needed to be addressed. And so we should impose a property surtax on uh, households where essentially there was very limited income taxes being paid so that they wouldn't be able to take advantage of and right. absolutely, so a lot of um, just wait one second. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people, right? You know, it, it took it took advantage of this situation. And and the point is not to vilify. The point is that we had a bad tax setup, which allowed essentially a free riding type behavior to, to, to transpire. And again, the point is to address that. It's not as if, you know, it's not that they're bad people, it's just that they took advantage of a system which would, with time and has with time. Uh, detached the housing market from the labor market and rendered uh, property in Vancouver highly unaffordable to local incomes, and that's what we see, and that's very been that's been okay, very clear. That wasn't the speculation and vacancy tax, though. That was the foreign investor tax. No, 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 no. Again, this is this is the misunderstanding. This is addressed directly through the speculation and vacancy tax. It's addressed through the speculation component, which imposes a two percent surtax. A proper on uh, assessed value on satellite families and foreign owners. That is that is how that mechanism works. And so, if you're a satellite family and you're living in a two million dollar house and you're declaring only thirty thousand or twenty thousand and paying one or two thousand dollars in income taxes, now you're going to have to pay a two percent property surtax on that two million dollar house. And that is going to be your contribution, and that's going to discourage that dynamic moving forward. So then, why do I, as a British Columbian who has lived my entire life here, have to declare that I'm not speculating on the property that I own. Well, that that's a separate issue. So, so let me, let me, let, because Josh actually has a point. I'm, I'm okay. hoping we come away with okay. an agreement here on something, because then it's probably a really good idea. So, uh, so I was part of that affordability fund proposal that, um, you know, Josh just described in rough uh, terms. And, and um, you know, I, I was supporting it at the time. So the idea is you have someone, possibly from abroad, who um, buys a house here, so they benefit from our society because their property value appreciates. Mm -hmm. But they don't live here, they don't um, contribute anything here other than the purchase of the house, and they leave the house empty. All right, so they're not paying very much into our society, yet they're benefiting. And also they're imposing a cost on their neighbors. So what's the cost? 
Well, I don't know about Josh, but you, Josh, but I've lived around the world and I've made friends, lifelong friends in every single culture. You know who the people I can't make friends with are? Yeah, the people who don't live here. The people who don't live here, exactly, exactly. So there's a clear cost when you leave your home empty, right? Okay, so then the idea was, under that housing affordability fund uh, proposal was, okay, well, let's um, imp Im uh, implement a tax which is on vacant homes only. Um, and very importantly, use, allow any income tax paid anywhere in Canada to fully offset that vacancy tax. So in other words, you're paying anything anywhere in Ontario, in Nova Scotia, whatever, and you have a property here, no consequences, all right? So this is really designed, was designed only for people who truly own here, benefit from property price appreciation. So clearly we're doing something right in Vancouver, right? Property prices are going up over time, right? So people are benefiting from that and not living there and not contributing and not even renting their place. That was the plan. That was the plan. What we got is very different. What we got is only income paid in British Columbia, income tax paid in British Columbia, and only up to $2,000. So it's not real exemption. This is a token. Okay. Can, can I jump in here? Well, uh, so so no, here's, no, here's for, let, me, let, me, let me make a key point here. Part of the group of economists who put forward the idea, uh, and some of the leaders, in fact, of that group were Tom Davidoff, Josh Gottlieb, Sir Somerville, right? Now, if you listen to Tom Davidoff, and you can go check out his Twitter feed and all the rest, he is very supportive of this tax because this is exactly what he had in mind, which was that you would address this issue of subsidized foreign ownership. And so I'm, I'm just curious, you know, you, you talk about the problem of people not being here and that imposing a cost, but there is also a cost if you have multimillionaires who use the education system and the healthcare system and eventually receive a pension, but who have contributed very little. Would you not agree that that is also a problem? Well, yeah, but that, so let's go back to the Canadians. So, why are we taxing, nothing, no, but, but why are we taxing someone from Alberta who owns a second home here? But wait a second. How that does that fit in, in that for category sure, of this grant? But, but for, for one key point there is that that has nothing to do with vacancy, whether you think that that satellite family type of dynamic is a problem. Okay, guys, hang on for a second. I think you need to take a short break, and I need to do one as well to tell our audience about the BC Children's Hospital Choices Lottery, where you can win one of eight grand prizes, including a $2.2 million cash prize. Go to bcchildren.com and order now for the $226,000 early bird draw. The deadline is Friday, March the 28th. The purchase of your ticket helps kids shine. Say yes to BC Children's Hospital. Enter now at bcchildrens.com. Okay, now back to Josh and Andre. In terms of the vacancy issue, in terms of, you know, Albertan family and all the rest, that is a secondary component, which is the component about vacancy. Now, why would you introduce a vacancy tax? Because you have rental markets that have been extremely tight. You've had vacancy rates in, in Kelowna of 0.2%, in Vancouver below 1%, same in Victoria, right? So you have very tight rental markets, which put a squeeze on renters, drive up rent prices, and put a lot of people in precarious situations. Rem remember, renters are often the most vulnerable in our society, and it's not a surprise that homelessness has gone up 
in tandem with this rental crisis. And so what the government did was it said, while, we'll, while we're building, and in fact we're building record amounts at the moment, while we're building, we want to address the rental crisis by putting vacant units back into the rental stock. And we want to encourage that to happen. And that is what the vacancy component is trying to do. It is trying to encourage empty homes back into the rental market so that you ease pressure on the, the, the official vacancy rate in terms of the pressures on rent prices. So, right. so Josh do, has a point here, yeah. okay. uh, which is, you know, sure, we, we need, uh, we have been constricting supply artificially yes. for a number of years, and because of that, we have the lowest vacancy rate imaginable. That's not just because of empty houses. There's no, a whole no, host no, of no, no, no. This is because our beloved city governments are really sitting on thousands and thousands of applications. But that aside, it is what it is. So the question is, can we, how can we increase uh, supply? Yeah. And a vacancy tax in that sense was very uh, reasonable it makes sense, way to actually. do it. Right? It really does make okay. sense. So the city of Vancouver did that last year. So they counted 10,500 empty homes before they introduced the Vancouver vacancy mm -hmm. tax. And you know, as far as taxes go, I thought it was actually pretty well thought out implementation. With that in mind, the final effect, I mean, it was intrusive and all that, but whatever. The final effect was between two and 3,000 homes entered the vacant, the, the, the rental pool. This is nothing. This is a one-time increase of about 1%. What? It makes no difference. Now, the province knew that when they implemented their vacancy tax. Uh, so that's problem one. And the second one is, so the question is, how many homes are going to go in the, how many vacant homes are going to become up for rent? And the government believes there will be any. Because well, won't the, be any? There will not be any. Why? Because the budget light item that says how much tax they are expecting to collect from the vacancy tax, guess what? It's flat. It is flat year over year over year. So the but, government but, does not expect. No, but that doesn't. That doesn't if, mean if, that there are. If the vacancy tax no, but that, forces people to rent, yeah. then that budget item should be going down year over year over year and Pot quite substantially. Potentially, potentially. but I mean, it's not. Is, no, but wait. It's you flat. Know, but wait. So first of all, that's that's an estimate. So we don't know what's going to happen. The, the second thing is that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't take into account the adjustment that happens in anticipation of the tax, right? So there are rental units that enter, or empty empty units that enter into the rental market before the revenue begins to be collected, right? And so that that claim that you're making doesn't take into account the effect of that initial right. impetus so of properties point, into it. No, so but here's the other thing. Here's the other key point. In, in when we're talking about the city of Vancouver empty homes tax, we're only talking about one municipality out of many, right? So if you had a couple thousand in a number of different uh, municipalities that were encouraged back into the rental market, that would, that would help the rental market. And in fact, we are seeing that rental prices are now starting to plateau and now starting to come down somewhat in some areas. So again, you are seeing some relief on that front. And so that's what you're trying to achieve. Now, is it gonna be sufficient? I'm not sure, right? You know, I think it's gonna help. And that's the point, is there's a bunch of different things that we need to do, and it's one thing that helps. Right? But it doesn't but help. It, it actually doesn't. goes the opposite way. Okay, um, explain that. So, so first of all, if the intent was to get people to rent their homes before the tax kicks in, yeah. they wouldn't have collected the tax retroactively, right? 
because the tax was, the legislation was no, voted in 2018. Yes, no, the legislation was announced yeah, but in you're allowed February you have, 2018. If you have three months of rental in the first year, in 2018, then you are exempt. So it's not, it's not a retroactive so application. If, if, if the adjustment, because it takes a while to rent a place, right? So if the idea is, okay, well, let's get all these people to rent mm -hmm. with this new tax, then the implementation should have been in 2020. So that it gives people more time to prepare their properties for rent. At least going forward, at least announce it and then say, okay, it will be effective next year. It was done retroactively, and to me that suggests that it has nothing to do with affordability. It has everything to do with trying to squeeze every single dollar out of uh, certain taxpayers. I, I, I think there's been a lot of pressure on the government to act because we are in a housing crisis. That is the context no, for all this. The, if and if we are actually... Before can, the can, tax. I, can I finish? Yeah. No, no, but let, me, let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. I'll, I'll let you talk. The, the, the point is, right, that... Uh, in the context of a housing crisis, where you have a bunch of people in vulnerable situations that are being put into even more precarious situations, even sometimes being pushed out onto the streets, right? Rent evictions, dem evictions, all those different things that come with a, a tight rental market that can be very destructive to people's lives, mm -hmm. then you want to act and you want to act quickly. And so again, that was, the, that was the decision they made. And as a landlord, they announced it in February, they told you people how many months they had to rent it right so three months so you have you know at least six or seven months to get a property ready for the rental market I mean you know again people can you know wiggle one way or the other on this and and there are reasonable people can differ but to the extent that you actually think of this as a housing crisis that is affecting a lot of people in a in a very serious way Right? And again, there's a, there's a big class bias to this discussion, I gotta say, right? We don't often hear from renters, and that's, the, that's, a, that's a problem in this debate. But the point is that those people have been put into vulnerable situations often, and so you had a government that wanted to act and act quickly. And so putting it off to 2020 is not gonna help them. I and can't, so, I can't okay. help but feel, though, that the efforts of the, in the city of Vancouver that we see now with the construction of temporary modular housing, which are going up fast, and they are really meeting yeah. that need, is a much better way to direct our efforts than spend so much energy on a speculation tax. Well, why can't we do both? Well, You're saying we can't right. walk so and chew gum? That, that's a really good question. Why can't we do both? So the fact of the matter well, is, we so the government arm. claims in yeah. the budget, yeah. claims, and I think you claim, things are getting better. Yes. Things are not getting better. Affordability is not any better. Just look at the <laughs> at the number of people. Have you not seen the stats? Yeah, I was looking at the stats. So the prices for so condos are go going down, correct? So if, it, if they're going down, yeah. the question is, which they are, yeah. I agree with that, right. but if condos and houses and whatever are more affordable, why are not more people buying into them? So well, why you've got a depreciating asset? Who wants to buy something that's because going to be you've knocked the speculative component out of the speculative component out of the market? No, no, no. So when you buy a house or whatever, any asset, mm -hmm. the price is not the only thing. The price is one component. So obviously, lower price helps because then your mortgage amount is lower. Yeah. But there are a whole bunch of other things that matter. Affordability is about price relative to income. Right. All right. So it's, if you kill income, well, you haven't helped affordability. Now, income is growing at a much slower rate than the year before, but these things take time. Now, the government's own projection is that housing starts are going to decline 30% over three years. Mm -hmm. 
All right, so the development industry in BC is about 15% of the economy, right? Well, you take 15%, five per, you know, a third of that off. I don't know, this is not rocket science. It's 5% off of our growth over the next, over the next three years. That alone can kill any wage growth that we see, and for that matter, wage security for many people. So it's entirely possible. I can't tell why, why people are not buying, but it's entirely possible that they feel insecure about their future. It's entirely possible that banks don't want to increase their exposure to declining markets, so they toughen up the uh, financing terms. I don't know. The fact of the matter is a hell of a lot fewer people are finding homes today in January 2019 than they were in January 2018 than they were in January 2017. There are less sales, but... Yeah, but... That's the criteria, how many people are getting into homes. And it's not like vacancy. No, that's not the criteria at all. Absolutely. You, you could have very high sales, and in fact we did, and rapidly appreciating prices. And that's not helping your affordability, right? So right. by your metric, if, if sales is the standard and people buying houses is the standard, and that's what we want to encourage, then 2016, 2017 were wonderful. Okay. And, so and we don't have a housing this, crisis. So the problem, what you're saying is, oh, well, you can have very high sales in the high-end market. It's not local people who are doing that. Who cares? That's not a measure of affordability. Okay, that's a fair point. Let's look at the entry-level apartments. So go to outlying areas. Yeah. that are relatively cheap, you know, I mean, it's still expensive, but relatively cheap for Vancouver, like three, $400,000 condos, right? Yeah. Transaction volume there has dropped more than the market overall. Yeah. So people in Maple Ridge are not buying. They are not finding homes that are presumably, in theory, we are told, now much more affordable. Yes, because again, they're not worried about being left out forever. There was a mentality in the market that if you didn't buy now, you would forever be left out. And that fear of missing out mentality has shifted because now we have less speculative expectations. And, and that has been a salutary benefit, in fact, of the policy, because otherwise people were going to be buying at very high prices that were, in fact, very risky for them. Right? And I, I will also say, just as a key point here, that the connection between the high end of the market and outlying areas, right, the, the kind of the priciest areas and the outline, that is crystal clear. It's a ripple effect. You have the, the high end of the market that was dr driven up, and then that drove up prices across the market. And I know you believe awesome. that I, because you, do, I agree you, with that. you wrote yeah, research for the government yes. of BC yes. around I the foreign buyers tax. I agree with that. Yes. Okay, guys, one last break give you a chance to towel off here for a second, because this time in this break, I want to bring uh, your attention to Landlord BC. If you own or manage a rental property in BC, you'll want to know more about Landlord BC, an organization that supports owners and managers of all types of rental properties, from single units to multiple apartment buildings. They're on hand to make your job easier. Learn more at landlordbc.ca. Now, let's get back to this very spirited exchange between Andre Pavlov and Josh Gordon. Okay, guys? The question then is still remains. Why are those people not buying? I can't speculate. I mean, I can speculate. I don't know why people are not buying. But the fact of the matter is we're housing a lot fewer people today than, the, than we were. I know why they're not buying. They're my friends. And they're not buying because they think that the prices are overvalued and that they're probably going to come down. And that's a very different mentality than it was one or two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that, 
So far, the grid hasn't improved. We are not putting people into homes. Okay. We're going on and on and on, and we're going round and round in circles. We're drawing in a wide variety of different topics. I don't know that we've settled whether or not the speculation tax actually is going to answer all of our issues, uh, that it's going to make housing more affordable. Maybe it will in some areas, and uh, is affecting markets in adverse or unintended ways in, in others. And I think that this is, you know, one of the challenges always when you enter into a market that is so complex, which housing is, there's rental, there's ownership, there's foreigners, and, 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 and so many different levels. Uh, once you start to play with that market, it has effects, and people individually respond. I think that what you're saying, Andre, is, okay, why aren't people buying that uh, condo? Because they're going, well, if I buy it for $330,000 today, and it's only going to be $285,000 in a year and a half from now, I think I'll wait. What about the people who are in between? What about the people who own? And, and on and on and on. So the government the, has made. I know you want to. I know you want to wrap up, but the yeah. key point here is: was the status quo working? Was the status quo working in terms of affordability? And the answer is very clearly no. We have the most unaffordable housing market that Canada has ever seen, and it developed that way over a course of years. And we now have a government that's addressing that. So let me come back to you: is the status quo at the moment working? It's so, first of all, so, so George, George is correct that clearly the market was not affordable. True. Except the reason it wasn't affordable is that we've been constricting supply year over year over year for a decade or more. I, again, no so evidence of that. Absolutely. Uh, ev evidence no evidence of that. that. We have had the highest so, level of building. There has no. been no slowdown in construction over the past few years. In yeah, fact, there has been, been a dramatic always, ramping yeah, up. But it's been always highly insufficient. So last year was the first one that we had relatively higher construction. Volume. Okay. And now we're going to go back to sort of the long term or even less, which was highly insufficient. So you can strict supply, prices are going to go up. That's what's going to happen. Was there and a decline in, in new construction, in, in new units coming on the market in 2015, 2016, 2017? Was there a reduction relative to the historical average? I think they were about the same. There was a big jump. What I know is that there was a big jump last year, which I welcome very much. Yep. I said many times, finally, we're building it. Well, not enough, but getting closer to it. Fine, but we still have a decade of shortage to make up for. So we need a decade of this construction boom. Prices were not exploding. We're Prices it. were not exploding in 2012, 2013. They exploded in 2014, 2015, coincident with a massive exodus of, of, of capital out of China. And that had a, a dramatic effect on our market and affected. So no one's saying that foreigners didn't have an impact. But the driving force, really, well, for both, I mean, sure, 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 foreigners, I've said that, foreigners had an impact, no question. But a big issue is the, uh, the uh, supply constraints that we've imposed on ourselves. Okay, let me wrap this yes. up. Yep. Final question to both of you, is the speculation tax working? Absolutely not. We should drop it immediately. <laughs> Josh? It is working. It's working. Well, there, we agreed on very little. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you very much for coming in and joining me for this very, very lively conversation about what is something that I think is uh, going to be discussed, and it will probably be refined and adjusted over the years because you can't come out of the starting gate with uh, a complex uh, situation like this and have the complete answer. <laughs> 
that wraps up today's show. Now, just before I sign off, I want to encourage you to take in a couple of other Vancouver Sun and Province podcasts. The first is White Towel, hosted by Paul Chapman. Paul and a series of guest hosts bring you everything you want to and need to know about the Canucks. For all you news junkies on things political in Victoria, you're going to want to tune in to In the House, hosted by Mike Smith and Rob Shaw. I also want to give one more shout out to our sponsors. This episode comes to you thanks to the support of three organizations that agree we all need to know and understand more about the issues related to our housing. Those sponsors are McDonald Realty, the BC Children's Hospital Choices Lottery, and Landlord BC. Thank you for tuning in on Apple Podcasts, TheVancouverSun.com, TheProvince.com, and on The Vancouver Sun's YouTube channel. And be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss an episode. I'm Stuart McNish. Thanks for joining us on Housing Matters, The Vancouver Real Estate Show. See you next time. Mm-hmm.